Welcome, welcome everybody. Lovely to see you all joining from wherever you are in the world and whatever time of day or night it is for you all. This is a, a keynote that will last an hour and I have the great pleasure actually of introducing tonight uh, someone who's a friend and colleague of mine, Trish Bartley, who I had the privilege of first meeting back in the day when she trained me to teach mindfulness. So I have an immense debt of gratitude to Trish for that. Thank you for that, Trish. Couldn't have had a better trainer. And Trish came to mindfulness very, very early on, 1999. She came from a background in community work and international development work, and always with a particular interest in values, how values shape us, how they inform our thoughts, our decision-making, our actions, and perhaps most importantly for Trish, our sense of inclusion, who we include, and of course, who we exclude. And this, this real attention to values runs through all the work she does in mindfulness. So Trish joined the very, very first mindfulness MBCT retreat in 1999, led by the, the three people who developed MBCT, uh, Zindel Siegel, Mark Williams and John Teasdale and their research teams. And at that point, Trish herself had breast cancer, was um, going through very, very heavy chemotherapy, was without any hair, but had the courage to join this retreat. And that led to what we're going to learn more about tonight. With the assistance of John Teasdale, Trish then developed a special adaptation of MBCT for people with cancer. She is internationally known and recognised for this work. She's published two major books, one a manual for teachers of this program, Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy for Cancer, and also uh, a workbook for people who themselves are undergoing cancer, and that's called Mindfulness, A Kindly Approach to Being with Cancer. And her own personal experience of this, her personal experience of teaching and training all over the world and working one-to-one is what we're going to hear about tonight, those so important personal stories. For those of you here who are mindfulness teachers or teachers in training, Trish is also internationally recognised for her work in a related field, and that is groups, groups in mindfulness-based courses. Um, I recognise some teachers in training and trainees who will know Trish through her co-authored Inside Out group model work. And the exciting news is that she has written what will be the definitive book in the field, Teaching Mindfulness-Based Groups, which is being published next month. And we'll learn more about that at the, at the end of the session. So that's more than enough from me. Time to hand over to you, Trish, with once again a huge thanks for joining us this evening. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Alison. What, what a lovely introduction. That's, that's, um, that's, it's really touched me, what you said. Um, 
And, and thank you so much, all of you, uh, Sharon, and all of you uh, known as keynote groupies, apparently, uh, I've just discovered. <laughs> so all of you behind the scenes, you know, really supporting this session. And thank you for inviting me, because it's a great thrill, actually, to be to be telling you and, and sharing this evening with you. So so that's brilliant. Um, I want to just I want to just sort of caution, really, uh, not that I'm going to be sharing anything, you know, um, massively traumatic or anything, but I think it's fair to say that that most of us have had some experience of cancer. So it's not necessarily a personal experience as I've had, but there will be people on the call tonight who've had their own personal experience of cancer. And I'm sure there'll be many others of you who've perhaps lost loved ones to cancer or friends. And I, and I suppose I just want to say, you know, it's it's tender stuff, this, this topic. Um, so as I'm telling you the stories, you know, really, really um, gauging at what level you're, you're, you know, you're involved with this. And, you know, you can always, you can always um, turn off your screen and stand up and take a breath or have a little walk around the room and then come back again. So really looking after yourself, although we're going to do lots of little practices as we go through. So just 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 really take care of the tenderness, although it's also very precious. So we don't have to run away from it. Um, so so I thought we, we might start with just a, a very brief practice of just inviting you to close your eyes if you'd like to or keep them open if that's better for you. Um, but I'm just going to gently close my eyes and perhaps just coming to a sense of sitting here. Coming to a sense of your body on the chair, perhaps on the stool or the cushion, whatever you're sitting on sense of the weight of you going down. And if you'd like to, perhaps just gently coming to the breath. Or if you prefer to stay in contact with uh, some place in the body, like the feet on the floor, then doing that, whatever's best for you. Just having an anchor to come back to. And knowing you can always come back to this anchor at any point during this talk, during this hour that we're sharing together. And perhaps as we finish, if you'd like to, just bringing to mind somebody who, who you're aware of right now, who perhaps is not well, maybe with cancer, maybe, maybe, with, maybe with something else, but just somebody who you're, who's kind of in your heart at this time. And just sort of, uh, just inviting them in, just inviting them to, to share this experience in, in whatever way you'd like to. Just bringing them into your heart. Okay. So opening your eyes and uh, coming back to, we never went away really, did we? But coming back to the screen, yeah. So I just want to share with you a little bit about how this, how this evening and this talk is going to go. Um, Sharon was so lovely because she said, um, don't let's have loads of PowerPoints. And I thought, oh, phew, that's great. <laughs> and she said, why don't, why don't just let's, let's have some stories. 
And I think that's that's really nice. So I'm going to share some stories of some people I've worked with, um, really to illustrate some of the points I want to bring through. And these relate, um, um, you know, very directly to what was in the blurb in the in the flyer. Um, but maybe first of all, just just saying to you that that really the place that I'm coming from this evening, and that um, uh, that's that's really. I think quite important to come from is just a, an acknowledgement that cancer involves a lot of uncertainty. So whether you have a, a really tough cancer or quite a mild one, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of waiting and a lot of not knowing. And it's, it's, it's quite tough to manage that. Whether you have a practice or not, it's still pretty tough to manage. So just having that awareness, all the people that I'm going to share with you, they, they all would have experienced this in, in greater or lesser extent. And of course, with uncertainty comes great big dobs of anxiety. You know, the sort that really hits you in the belly or in the sternum. The sort that perhaps in the middle of a supermarket uh, shop um, suddenly comes to you uh, of, of something that's upcoming or some memory that you've had. So. You know, anxiety and uncertainty are, are really constant companions, I think, for people going through a diagnosis and treatment and probably for some time afterwards, actually, and at different times. Yeah, anniversaries, probably. And of course, trauma is, is, another, is another one that is also very commonly experienced at different times with the experience of cancer. Um, so... Um, I'm actually not going to tell you a huge amount about the eight-week course because in many ways it's not that different to other eight-week courses. In some ways it is a little bit different, but what I want to do is to really acknowledge the people who have supported me hugely in, um, in this work. And Mark Williams was the first one who, who um, just opened doors for me. I mean, it wouldn't have happened if he hadn't, if he hadn't opened doors in the oncology centre. And, and it was lovely because he was the only person who didn't know that it, this wasn't happening anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, I kind of assumed it was happening all over the place in cancer centres. I didn't know it, was, it wasn't happening. He knew. The people in the cancer centre, they had no idea that this was actually quite radical and quite new. It's just as well, really, because they probably wouldn't have let me teach if they had. <laughs> but anyway, that was back in 2001. And then, of course, about 2003, I started working with John Teasdale and he very kindly supervised me. It, again, was never clear to me why, why he would want to, because I'm not a psychologist, but he did. He supervised me for 10 years. And together we really tweaked the, the programme from MBCT, the original MBCT, to, to a programme for people with cancer. And it took a long time. It took ages to just, you know, tweak it and try it out and tweak it again and try it out. And then the other really important person to mention is Christina Shannon who I do a lot of work with, who has continued that tweaking and trying out. And she's really developing it now in a, in a very major way. And she and I train together. So I've been terribly fortunate in the people who've really supported me in this, in this work. So I want to talk to you about, um, about four areas. And I, I thought we'd, we'd pull these four areas out. So one of them is the body, not surprising that. One of them is, is brief practices, which MECT for Cancer really does specialise in, these very brief practices. Not talking about three minutes, not even talking about a minute. Talking about very brief, maybe a few seconds of practice. One to mention a little bit about group uh, through a story. And kindness. So those are the, those are the kind of four 
um, areas that, um, you know, they're not that different from other courses, but there are particular emphasis, there are particular highlights, I guess, that we, when we're training teachers, that we really emphasize. Um, so, yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to introduce some people to you. I'm going to change their names. Uh, not that it's likely that they would ever be recognised, but just in case, I'm going to change their names. Um, and, um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about them um, and a little bit about how they used the mindfulness that they learnt. Um, and then we'll do a practice, probably a practice that they particularly liked or used or found helpful. Um, and then I'll just pull out a few little threads of, of what the learning is for me around what they, what they did and how they did it. Um, so we'll have a story, we'll have practice, little bit perhaps of lovely, it would be great to hear from you in chat, you know, about the practice and how you found it. But they'll be very, very brief. And then a little bit just pulling out the learning. Okay, so before we, before we move on to the first, to the first um, person I want to introduce you to, I'd love you just to pause, because I've given you a lot of information even, even now. So maybe just pause with your eyes open, no need to close your eyes. We, we tend to close our eyes when we're about to practice. And actually it's quite a disadvantage because as soon as we close our eyes, we, we, we cut ourselves off from what's going on around us. So maybe just pausing, you know, in this moment, just to notice what's going on for you right now. And there'll be an internal experience to what's going on for you and for me. And then there'll be also an external experience in the screen and perhaps the room. My dog is dreaming, so there's an external experience for me of little noises from dreaming dog, which is nice. So just be noticing what's going on for you right now. Might be pleasant, might be unpleasant. It's okay, whatever. Just what's going on right now. So we'll we'll come back. We'll come back to. Um, a pause. Um, we'll come back to a pause again a bit later on. Okay, so let me let me bring in um, our first um, our first participant, who I'm going to call Karen. Um, and Karen, um, I remember her very well indeed. And, and Karen was a tall lady, quite slim, quite athletic, uh, a very bright woman. Um, quite an intellectual, actually. She, she was quite cerebral. So she was challenging to teach because in the first few weeks she, she didn't really get awareness at all. Everything was about thinking. So she thought her toes and she thought her body and she thought her sensations in her body scan. It was kind of interesting. And I remember taking her to supervision and, and asking John, you know, I'm not sure, you know, I don't want to just tick her off. How, how, can, we, how can we sort of get her into awareness? And I can't remember whether we ever did, but, but it was an interesting uh, challenge. Now, the thing about Karen that was very significant was that she was absolutely convinced that she wouldn't survive her cancer. Absolutely convinced. She'd given up work, very significant work, actually. She gave it up the day that she was diagnosed. She never went back to work. And she, was, she just wouldn't have it any other way. She had a nasty diagnosis, but even so, she wouldn't have it any other way. She was not going to make it. And she was pretty sceptical about the course. She was very sweet, she was very friendly, but she clearly thought it was a whole load of hogwash, you know. Um, but she was quite diligent and she practiced uh, 
because she was suffering terribly. So she had this tightness, she had this uncertainty that was like, she had this sort of denial, I'm going to die. She was absolutely fatalistic about it, which in some ways is a way of control, you know, because to hope might have just been too painful, actually. And she had these two boys that she absolutely adored. Um, and, and she couldn't let hope in. Okay, so that, that was the picture, really. Then one evening she phoned me up. It was a Friday evening, I remember. And um, she phoned me up and she said, Trish, I'm sure you mostly get phone calls from people who are really distressed. And I've had a fantastic experience. I wanted to tell you about it. A little bit different. So I said, all right. And she said, I was digging the garden today. Very physical lady. Digging the garden today. The sun was up. Feel the sun on my back. And I noticed that there was a robin on the fence and I could hear the robin singing. And I just stopped and I leaned on the spade and I listened to the robin. And she said, Trish, do you know, I have never in my life been so completely content. It was, it was like a miracle, actually. There she was in her body, in her senses, really, really aware and really content. Now, the miracle didn't equal that she no longer thought she would die. She was still, she absolutely was convinced she would die. And she did. She was convinced. But she had these moments of being outside, sometimes scooping up her horse's manure and seeing the little bugs in the horse's manure, you know, or seeing the birds hop around, often in nature. And she could just be with that. And she had these occasional no, not occasionally, these, these experiences of deep contentment, deep, deep contentment. Really interesting, really interesting. So let's, let's, let's come to a, an experience of the body. And again, I, I'm going to invite you to keep your eyes open and see if as you have your eyes open, just to come to your feet on the floor. So just allowing a soft gaze up or down just seeing if you can come to a sensations of contact between the soles of your feet and what they're resting on. Perhaps toes, perhaps heels, perhaps a sense of the weight of the legs, the weight of the body going down onto the feet, onto the floor. And perhaps a sense also of the solid of the floor. The solid of the floor holding these feet, supporting these feet. These feet resting on the floor and actually ultimately the earth beneath. These feet, these feet resting on the earth and on the planet itself, holding. Okay, so, so that's Karen and it was very intriguing to me that she found her own way into the practice really. She was conscientious, she did her body scans and all of that, but what meant most to her was those sorts of experience of listening to the birds, doing something physical. And that was fantastic, but of course once she was so poorly that she couldn't any longer go outside, that, that that wouldn't have been accessible to her. Um, that doesn't diminish what she experienced, because I think what she experienced was, was, very, was very renewing and resourcing for her. 
yeah so let's move on now to the next um, the next participant I want to introduce you to and I'm going to call her Aisha and she Aisha was a, a very very troubled lady but in a very different way to Karen so I taught Aisha two different eight-week courses um, and um, uh, and and on both she was she was really in crisis actually and in fact on the first one I wasn't at all sure that I should have included her because she was so agitated so troubled actually she was a, a carer of a when I first knew her of a of a 15 year old boy who had a, a, a terminal cancer um, and it was a very unusual one and it was a very tough one very very tough so he was in and out of hospital a great deal and had constant surgeries um, and she when he wasn't in hospital she she looked after him and of course and and uh, his his bed and his his bedroom was bless you Helena his bed and his bedroom was uh, was opposite her she had a, a, a a painting studio it was opposite her studio so she could see him there now Aisha um, had to be busy uh, she she couldn't tolerate body scan at all not in the first or the second course she just couldn't manage it she tried it in the car she thought that might be better than in the house she certainly couldn't manage it in the house I think she managed it once or twice in the car but it was very tough so she was she was a bit like Karen in that she had she was dealing with huge uncertainty and and very very anxious but the difference between the two of them is that is that Karen was tight into this like it's going to be like this and Aisha was was agitated so she was she was all the time moving she would move her legs and she'd move her hands a lot so she was very agitated internally and and externally and her practice um, was pretty non-existent. The breath was no good to her at all. The breath was very triggering because it triggered her into the breath of her son, which was so laboured and so loud. She, she just couldn't, couldn't bear it. She, so the breath was no use to her at all. Uh, but what was helpful and, and, and what she picked up on, which was so brilliant, was that she put some little sticky dots i don't know if you know i'm sure lots of you use these sticky dots very widely available so she put some sticky dots on her spice rack so she had quite an extensive lovely old spice rack with little drawers and she put different colored sticky dots at different times and the sticky dots said to her stop pause feet on the floor and that was her core practice stop pause feet on the floor and actually it took her a long long way it really did she could do that when she was nursing her son she could do that when she was lying in bed because it would be stop pause body on the bed she could do it when she was walking her dogs by the sea so stop pause feet on the floor is what we're going to do now and again, I'd invite you to do this with your eyes open. So we're just going to put our two practices together. So as these people are landing within you, as you're meeting them and getting to know them and being touched by their, their circumstance, their stories, their emotions probably. So maybe just pausing and noticing what's going on for me right now. 
just noticing. What are you aware of in the body? What are you aware of in the emotions? What are you aware of in your thoughts, perhaps? And then having kind of gathered the attention and noticed all of that, then just directly coming to your feet on the floor, just like Aisha did. Stop, pause, feet on the floor. She would often do it standing. I don't think she sat a lot. So feet on the floor, but we're mostly sitting. Weight going down. Points of contact. Sense of gravity. Gravity pulling us downwards. Bringing us closer and closer to this earth, this precious planet. Okay, so we have a, a little couple of minutes. It would be lovely if you'd like to put something in the chat about the practice, not so much about the stories at this stage, but just about the practice. So when you, when you, when you practice just now with stop, pause, feet on the floor, what was that experience like for you? Maybe, maybe a word or two words, just to, just to check in with you. That would be so nice. Lovely, slowing down, very nice. It works. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but that's very nice. Rounding, that's interesting, Yunli, thank you. Grounding, absolutely, calm, centering, stillness. It's interesting how, how small it is, isn't it? Anchoring, landing on my body, very nice. Warm tenderness, beautiful. Mmm, warming to others. Lovely. Beautiful. Thank you. That's very nice. So I'm just enjoying your faces for a moment. So I haven't had a chance to just uh, look at everybody, but that's so nice. Mmm. So, just to, just to sort of pull into, I guess, some, some of the learning from that, which probably almost I, do, I don't really need to, need to do, but it just might be helpful. Just so Aisha, in some ways, um, had more to hold on to. She had more holding in some ways um, than Karen, although she didn't have Karen's sense of contentment. I mean, she never, she never lingered long enough for that. Uh, and you could understand why. I mean, it's completely understandable. Um, but but she had an anchor that I'm not sure that Karen did have, but she found her anchor and she still has it. I mean, I visited her a couple of years ago and in fact, um, the spice rack is still there. I can't remember if the, the sticky labels were still, I shouldn't think so. <laughs> um, but in a way, after a time, you don't need the sticky labels anymore. The spice rack does it. But just noticing how simple, some of you have said that in the chat, how simple it is. 
and noticing how 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 important it is to find just a place of holding. We might call it an anchor, but in some ways that's a that's a sort of technicality. We're, we're talking about being held. We're talking about finding something that just helps us to hold experience, helps these people to hold their experience. Okay, so we want to move now to. Um, uh, to the group. So uh, do you remember I said to you at the beginning that we were going to look at the body, we we're going to look at brief everyday practices, which is which was Aisha and her spice rack, going to look a little bit about the group and a little bit about kindness. So, so it was those four. So we're kind of halfway through our four. And the group, and I, and I was, you know, there are so many groups um, that come to mind when I think about groups and cancer and mindfulness. Um, but there are two particularly that come to mind that I thought I'd share with you. So one I always think of as Victoria's group. And I only think of it as Victoria's group because she um, she kind of she kind of was uh, was the organizer who scooped everybody up. She was the one who who got the WhatsApp group going and, and who did an awful lot of the sort of joining up and connecting. And I think she was probably very important in that. But there were a lot of very, very significant people in the groups. So it's quite a big group. It was uh, it was quite a big group. And it was a group of a, of a lot of different people with a lot of different layers of, of illness. So a number of them had progressing cancer. So that means that, you know, the cancer was was continuing to um, to be there in the body. And and some of them were having ongoing treatment. Some of them knew that they would have more treatment in the future. Some of them were terminally ill. Um, um, nobody died during the course, but there were some quite poorly people there. Um, and, and the group was just um, incredibly inspiring. And I can't really tell you what it was that, that enabled. I mean, I think there were a number of ingredients. I think, I think the group just had such a variety uh, amongst them. That, they, that they, there was sort of a bond that developed between them that was really very, very touching to me. I mean, incredibly touching. And it was very noticeable that I think for any of us who, who really um, invest in our groups as we teach, it was very noticeable that early on I was pretty significant in holding, in holding the group and in, you know, in keeping the show on the road and in keeping things really safe. And that was important. But actually, as the course went on, I became less and less, you know, less and less central. I mean, I was still there holding, you know, holding the holding the program, you know, making sure that we, you know, we, we were doing what what was in the program. I was still there. But it was very clear that the the juice, if you like, the the uh, the gold was was amongst them um, and the way that they were relating to each other. And it was just very, very beautiful. And because I was so intrigued with what was going on, I, I kind of, which I often do do, I had a, a follow-up group a, a month after they finished. Um, and I turned it into a focus group to actually look at what, what it, what was it about this group? I wanted to learn because I was writing or I was due to be writing quite soon about the, the teaching mindfulness-based groups. And, and unfortunately, I lost the recording, which was a great sad source of sadness to me. But I can remember a lot of what was said. And there was a huge amount of crying, which you would think was strange. But it was it was that kind of poignant, precious, tender, tender crying, that crying when you love somebody so much that, that you know, you almost almost like the tears come. And I remember one of the group 
saying um, to the rest, there's so much love in this room. Um, and it was incredibly touching. Just remembering it now, I feel very touched. And there was a lot of love in the room. And there were some really poorly people and there were some quite tricky people. It's not that they were all gorgeous, easy people. <laughs> there were some quite tricky people, you know, and quite and, and quite troubled people, even without without cancer, you know, some of them. Were, and there was just a way that they really supported each other. And I think another thing that I remember is they were able to just um, touch into times when. So in the conversation that they had after the course finished, the, people would say, do you remember when somebody, you know, we'd done a body scan and Trish was doing that inquiry business and you said this and I said that. And I really learned from that. I really, I re and I felt so close to you when you said that. Those sorts of conversations were extraordinary and, and really taught me an awful lot about the group. Um, so I just share that with you. It was a special group, but not all groups are like that. But I think there's a potential in groups, particularly uh, in something like cancer, that is incredibly precious um, and where we as teachers can step back and the, and the group really can learn much more from each other than they than they do from us or even from the practice, perhaps. And I think that's a form of holding. I think that's a big form of holding, that, that holding of community, that holding of contact. Um, so I thought we'd, we'd do a, a, another brief brief practice. Um, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the time, but I think there's time for another brief practice, but not perhaps to go into the chat afterwards. So let's let's do what we did before. So let's just stop. So if you're taking notes, maybe just put the pen down for a moment. Just stop and pause. Asking that question, what's going on for me right now? What's going on inside? What's going on on the outside? And then including the feet. So just, just including, just sort of folding in the feet, contact of the feet on the floor, the body on the seat. This sense of weight going down. Really experiencing that the floor, the earth, the planet holding us, this holding that we need so much. And then if you'd like to, simply coming to the breath. So just including the breath, just like we folded in the feet, just folding in the breath, movement of the breath in the body. If you'd prefer to, maybe staying with your feet on the floor. The breath doesn't feel so comfortable right now. Just, just folding in body, breath, feet. This experience right now. Okay. Okay, so coming back to, uh, I've got two people to share with you at the end. And this last one, this last one is about kindness. I, in, in the flyer, I called it a wish to support the cultivation of kind-heartedness to places of pain. 
So uh, what I'd love to do is to share with you a poem um, that is written by um, a, a Chinese-American called Li Young Li. And I'm not going to share all of the poem because it's a bit too long for this time, but uh, I'm just going to share the first two verses. And it's a poem that he's written, it's called The Gift. It's a poem that he's written about his father, actually, uh, and about a splinter that he had that his father uh, took out of his hand. Some of you may know this poem. To pull the metal, the metal splinter from my palm, my father recited a story in a low voice. I watched his lovely face and not the blade. Before the story ended, he'd removed the iron slither I thought I'd die from. I can't remember the tale, but hear his voice still, a well of dark water, a prayer. And I recall his hands, two measures of tenderness that he laid against my face, the flames of discipline he raised above my head. Beautiful. Two measures of tenderness he laid against my face. The flames of discipline he raised above my head. Interesting, isn't it? So I remember very well um, a young woman who I'm going to call Jill. I didn't work with her for all that long. Um, and she had an incredibly aggressive cancer really very, very aggressive. Um, and we worked on online um, a few times, um, probably only about two or three actually, if that. So she really was hardly, hardly introduced to, to mindfulness. And she was going through all sorts of appointments and, you know, tests and scans and all sorts of stuff. So she had a huge amount going on. Um, and, um, yeah, so, yes, it was sort of, it was hard to hold her, actually, because she had so much going on. And then I met up with her at her place of work, that I knew quite well, and I met up with her, um, and, and we, we found a little side room, and we could just go together into the side room, and, and she told me that the cancer had spread to her brain. And it had spread to a pretty, pretty major part of the brain. And, and I think, you know, she was she was pretty distressed, understandably. And her parents were coming to get her that day and she was going to go home. Um, and we didn't talk about what was in view, but it was it was clear that that she knew and and she was being brave. But she was she was very anxious and, and understandably really very, very distressed. So we sat together and and. You know, I didn't know her that well, actually. And, and so what, you know, what to offer her? What to offer her? I mean, feet on the floor, yes, but it didn't seem like very much somehow. <laughs> and, and I remembered this poem and I didn't have it with me, but I actually, actually spoke to her of this poem and this, the splinter and the father and, and the two measures of tenderness he laid against her face, his face. And we, we did a practice together and, and in the practice it was as if it was as if there were there were two hands holding her head, holding where her cancer had spread to. 
and I could feel her, her, her steadying, you know, she, she, there was enough holding there that she could just breathe with that, um, just in that moment, yeah, which was, was quite something, I think, I, th I thought, thought she was a, an incredible young woman, actually. And then the other the other person I wanted to share with you was was Laure, uh, so a French woman who I worked with for the last um, I think about the last ten weeks of her life. So again, that was online, that was Skype in those days that we didn't have Zoom. And if there was Zoom, I didn't use it. So we had Skype. She's a very beautiful woman, very beautiful, and um, very interesting. She'd been ill for a long, long time, and her her life had sort of narrowed. It had sort of shrunk, which is what happens with chronic illness isn't it um, and she I don't know quite I don't know how she came to me but she emailed me and we started working together um, and she was great she took to mindfulness like a duck to water and I, I had this little fantasy that she would recover and become a mindfulness teacher which of course was you know wasn't going to happen but it was a lovely little fantasy because she would have been fantastic absolutely fantastic and um, she, she, she worked well with mindfulness, but the thing that really I remember her by very much was, was her, her joy of her friends and her joy of her garden. And she had this walnut tree in the garden. And this walnut tree was, uh, I never saw it, but she described it to me and it sort of had a lovely spreading sort of, I don't know quite what you call it, sort of spreading shape. And in fact, it was before spring, so the leaves went out. So it was sort of in skeleton form and she said, she said that she could see this tree out of her bathroom window. And she would go um, many times to the bathroom window and she would just look at her tree and it was as if she was standing underneath it. And at a time when she could no longer go out in the garden, she's, she imagined herself standing under the tree. And um, she was extraordinary. You know, she practiced uh, a core practice, probably the body scan, right up until the Friday. And then she took herself to bed and her family were with her and she died on the Tuesday morning, early Tuesday morning, which I thought was just amazing, quite amazing. And I, I like to think that she had her tree over her like a canopy, but her tree held her. So it, it struck me as I was thinking about all these, all these people that I've shared with you that, um, that actually, yes, it's about the body. Yes, it's about brief practices. Yes, it's about finding something, some anchor, some something somewhere and kindness of course is huge the tenderness those tender hands but it's actually also about holding about finding some way of 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 holding for ourselves for others um yeah so that's really what i i leave you with and i thought we'd finish up with a a brief practice which i call coming to the breath with kindness so this will just take about a minute Alison, and then we'll, we'll move on. So closing your eyes, I've been very firm with you, haven't I? Closing your eyes if you'd like to. Coming to a sense of feet on the floor, body sitting, weight going down. And then if you'd like to, just simply coming to the breath, just like we did before. If that feels okay for you, if you prefer to stay with your feet on the floor or your hands in the lap, then that's also fine. If it's okay to come to the breath, then just feeling that movement of the breath 
in the whole of the body. And then if you'd like to, imagining playing with the possibility that kindness could flow in on the breath. No need to feel anything any different if you, if you don't particularly connect with that, but just a possibility of kindness flowing into the body on the breath, filling up the body. Perhaps moving to any place in the body where there's pain or injury or some particular place that needs some kindness, some friendliness. And then letting that, that friendliness, that tender-heartedness move out from the body out into everybody here on this call all the people that they've brought to mind perhaps who are ill or who are troubled in some way kindness in on the breath out to whoever is here with us either present on the screen or in our hearts, in our minds. Okay. So I'm a little bit over, Alison. Sorry about that. Have you got any? That's nice yeah. to hear you. Um... Trish, we've got a few questions coming. Some of them are specifically about teaching. I'm going to uh, leave that only until we've got time. Okay. Um, very interesting one here. Some people say mindfulness isn't suitable, isn't right for people who are in the middle of life-changing events. So what have you learned from offering mindfulness to those dealing with cancer, which is, of course, a life-changing event? Yep. How, do, how does what, what you've learned address this concern? Yes, I think it's a really good concern. So I think whoever asked the question, I think you're on the button with it, really. Um, I, I think there are two things. One is that people coming on to an eight-week programme, uh, the orientation, the preparation for them to come onto the programme and checking that it is a good time for them to be doing it is very important. So the training that Christina and I offer around this programme, we very much encourage teachers not to be teaching people who are in the middle of treatment, um, who have just been diagnosed. It's not appropriate. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that because I'm quite experienced, I, I've, I've worked with a few people who are, you know, obviously at, at, at very early or very late stages in cancer. So some of the stories that I've told you, you know, wouldn't be suitable for people who aren't, who aren't experienced. Um, um, but, um, but they feel important because I wanted to give you a taste of what yeah. mindfulness can offer in terms of holding. I hope, that, yeah. I hope that answers it more or less. Yes, lovely. Thank you. And of course, I know you have said to me on, on more than one occasion that, um, and you mentioned it in the practice to people in trouble, so much of what you say 
isn't only relevant to cancer, it's relevant to many different kinds of trouble. And, and there is a question here, how do you feel the mindfulness practices that you offer? What's the specific difference in the practice um, for people who are uh, working with cancer in their lives? Mm. How do you adapt the practices mm. Good question. into account? Good question. I mean, it's not an answer that I can give in a few minutes, to be honest, because it's quite a subtle, uh, quite a quite an quite a complicated question. But just to give some examples, that for instance, if you're leading a body scan with some people with cancer in the room, then you need to know exactly where their pain is, where their discomfort is, where the cancer is, how they feel about where the cancer is, whether the cancer is progressing, whether it's 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 a, it's a place of surgery you know what we need to know we don't need to know the medical details but we need to know quite a lot about the participants that we're teaching in order to even guide a body scan and so the 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 adapting of something like a body scan will happen in the room in the moment with that information um with you um and with a lot of sensitivity and that's true for all the practices that we do um, so it, it is qu quite complex. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, and that's, I think, probably the, the best answer I can give at this point. But if anybody yeah. wants to explore that further, come and train with us. We'd love that. And um, yes, Sharon's just put in the chat the, the next teacher training that Trish will be offering in, in July, well, quite soon, really. Yeah. Um, anything specific? Trish, for the carers, anything particularly mm. relevant for people caring for people with cancer? Mm. I, I haven't done that much work with carers. I, I've sometimes included a partner. I remember working with a, a sister-in-law. I remember working with a, um, a daughter, 15-year-old daughter came with her mother one time. But on the whole, um, because the program is, is, is specifically orientated towards people with cancer, that's what I've stayed with. And carers have been involved to actually facilitate the person with cancer to come along, um, if, you know, if, that, if that made it easier for them, if that made it possible for them. But of course, Aisha, one of the stories I told you, she's a carer, she was yeah. a carer. Um, and, and I think that you know, the program is, is, is good for carers. It's, it's really appropriate for carers. I often feel that they, they get a slightly poor deal because you know, the focus is on the person with cancer and they're the, kind of, you know, they're, they're the kind of support person. And I often think that if it were possible, it would be ideal to offer them a program in their own right. Um, but you know, um, funding and possibilities and all the kind of, um, you know, constraints of looking after people who are really poorly means that it's it's not it's not easy. This this links into actually another question. There's there's perhaps lack of availability generally for specialist courses for people with with trained in NBCT for cancer. So what um, what additional training or adaptations might someone just offering? I'm going to say a normal. Uh, mindfulness course what might they need to think about if they were offering their course knowing okay, and they, that and people they with cancer were participants so they were they were they were offering a general course but there were yeah. some people with cancer in the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And i just think very careful orientation is the first place to go just to really yeah. check that 
at the person with cancer coming along is is at a stage where things are pretty steady you know yeah. it's not that they're, they're not in a in a place where the, the, the emotions are very labile and 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 you know very um very hard to handle so i think a steadiness yeah. is needed yeah. um, and then some of the things that i spoke about just now in terms of body scan you know hearing the story having a one-to-one -one orientation hearing the story understanding you know what that person needs um you know what, what what what's their motivation for coming on the course but, but there's nothing to stop people with cancer joining a general a general public course i think it would be great i think it'd be wonderful yeah thank you trish now i'm aware that you were going to offer us the gift of a short practice at the end so before coming to that i'd just like to mention a couple of things and that is uh, we have a couple of slides for you uh, a bit of information about the um the course trish is offering and of course the the picture of the book so this is the book the book it's a big book isn't it trish how big is it it's not that big but it's biggish yes it, it's a substantial book and i think this will be the definitive book which will be out on June the 6th. So that's something to look forward to. And just keep your eye on the Oxford Mindfulness uh, website because we will be offering support for this book. I'm not quite sure what, but we will be doing something um, to celebrate the launch of this book. Um, so just keep your eye out for that. And we'll let you know, of course, in our social media posts. And then this is the training that Trish is doing with Christina Shannon, the, uh, the URL, the, the link for that was in the, the chat. Um, and this is the specialist teaching, specialist training for teaching MBCT for cancer. I, I assume you need to be MBCT trained first, do you? I don't know. No, you don't actually. But okay. you, need to have, you need to have some basic teacher training that you've okay. done already. doesn't need to be MBCT. Okay, okay. Um, a quick question, are the specialist courses available on the NHS? Are individual sessions available or only courses? I think we might not have time to answer that now. I, I don't, don't know, know if I know the answer, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry, um, Caroline, Carol, about that. Um, Trish, I'm going to hand over to you now before okay. we close to... Okay. So has been a wonderful practice. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, yes. So just just coming to a just just coming to a point where you can just sort of gather up your experience of this evening. And perhaps with your eyes open, your eyes closed, you might just reflect on what it is that you're taking away with you. Now, there's all sorts of technical questions about teaching and training and all of that, but just having a sense of what what is it I'm what is it I'm taking away with me? If somebody was to ask me in a fortnight's time, you know, you went to that talk, you know, what what do you remember from it? And it may be that what you're taking away is just a a sensation in the body, maybe a felt sense. It may be that it's possible just to turn to that felt sense in the body if you can find it there. Maybe in the heart, maybe in the center of the trunk of the chest. There may be some images or there's some maybe some words or some 
stories, but just seeing if you can fold those into a, a felt sense in the body. And in whatever way you'd like to, perhaps framing that into an intention that mindfulness might be of some use to people with cancer, people with life-threatening illness. And it might be in the form of an eight-week course. It might be in the form of, of, a, of a kindly oncologist or a, a sensitive, a, a really holding specialist nurse. It might be through kindness, it might be through just presence, which after all is mindfulness as well. So just breathing with that possibility that even though there isn't enough in the world of treatment, of mindfulness classes, of teachers, of doctors, may what there is be of value, be of benefit. Perhaps just breathing with that. With your feet on the floor. So thank you so much. It's been great to uh, it's been great to be with you this evening. <laughs> and Trish, it's for me to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure and a privilege. Thank you so much.